Welcome to Working Syracuse, the podcast inspired by journalist Studs Terkel featuring Salt City residents talking about what they do to earn a paycheck and how they find meaning in those jobs. I'm your host, Bronte Schmidt. Tim Hoda has been a beekeeper for more than 30 years. On a visit to Eastern Europe in 2001, he learned his ancestral family crest featured a beehive, a detail that reinforced his commitment to the practice. As a beekeeper, he spends each year collecting honey, making it into products like chapstick, honey sticks, and candles, and then selling the products at a farmer's market in the area. In fact, for 18 years, bees and the honey they produce have served as his primary source of income. Hoda spoke with our reporter, Sarah Kinsler, about the life of a beekeeper and what his bees have taught him. The more I read about it, you know, how it was a uh, archetype society where uh, some of their strongest attributes was of, uh, uh, how would you say, uh, altruism. You know, the bees exist, they have no sense of self. They exist for the good of the larger community. Hi, my name is Tim Hoda. I'm a beekeeper. Thousands of bees bustle around the 10 beehives in Tim Hoda's front yard. Peering outside of the window from the kitchen, it's impossible to miss the clunky light blue boxes shielding the hives from the cool winter air. By mid-July, he'll have 60,000 bees, with each one producing only a quarter of a teaspoon of honey in its lifetime. Hoda reflects on how the short lives of the bees have taught him about death, community, and family. But when he began, bees just seemed like a nice complement to an earth-loving way of life. We live a pretty low-carbon lifestyle, and bees would fit in nicely. So I ordered a couple of bee packages and started reading up. I love the research and independent study, and uh, fascinated by the whole uh, biological aspects and the uh, sustainability. And the bee society is very specialized. Uh, every bee has a role. Uh, when a bee is first uh, hatched, it starts out right in the nursery, maintaining exactly where it came from, taking care of the young bees. And it, it, there's a, in the society, if it does a good job, it escalates to a higher level. No leader is higher than the queen bee. Unlike an average bee, the queen lives for up to three years, naturally making her the leader of the hive. It's, it's a matronal society, where it's, the queen is like, controls the whole operations of the hive through pheromones, through its scent. And the queen will send out a pheromone saying, we have a nectar run, everybody go out. And specific bees, uh, as I said before, they go after specific types of flowers. And uh, if a bee finds a big field of clover, it'll come back to the hive and it will tell everybody where this field is through using uh, the alignment of the sun and it does a it's called a waggle dance it goes into the hive and and through this dance it gives the bees coordinates of where go down the big oak tree hang a left go up the hill and 
it's amazing how they do that. And this is, you know, very proven and scientific. For the queen's bees to work efficiently, the hive must be looked after. Guard bees, as the name suggests, protect against intruders seeking to raid the hive. Their whole purpose, and they're committed to maintaining the integrity of the hive and not keeping out wasps and yellow jackets and any kind of, uh, even mice will come in and try to get into the hive. Great place to spend the winter, by the way. Nice and warm and lots of nutrients from the honey. And, uh, but the, uh, the guard bees, uh, they give their life because they only sting once. And after that, it's, it's the end of the their existence. And Tim believes the social structure of bees is reflected in human society. Male drone bees work outside of the hive to mate with neighboring queens. Sadly, their life will end shortly after, fulfilling their sole purpose. House bees work inside the hive to clean and tend to the queen. All the bees take ownership of their jobs and devote their lives to doing those jobs well for the good of the hive. They're so committed to maintaining that they're aware that it's going to cost them everything to protect the hive, and they're more than willing to do it. The activity of the bees changes between different seasons and the weather, which in central New York often means it is unpredictable. There was an old Beatles song about the fool, the fool on the hill that lives his life by the seasons. I said, that's what I wanted to do. You know, and spring is a real exciting time. Springtime serves as one of the busiest times of the year, and a beekeeper must decide how many hives to maintain. In New York State, about 50 pounds of honey are produced from a single hive. Oftentimes, Hoda checks his hives at least once every two weeks. Because, you know, you're building up your hives and you're trying to uh, get them going and get them really so that they thrive. So when the first uh, flowers bloom, and you really build your, how busy you want to be throughout the season. One is based on how many hives you want to manage, you know, because, you know, I, I know some people, uh, they run 800 hives, you know, it's their whole life. Hoda keeps his numbers relatively small, managing about 45 hives between his four locations. A key part of the maintenance work is feeding the bees. To do that, Tim makes sugar and honey-filled patties that he places on top of the hives to help boost honey and nectar production. First thing that we do is we have the, something called patty parties. I have one of those hamburger squashers, and we have three people cut together. I mix up a whole bunch of this. Uh, uh, it's basically sugar, uh, some mineral salts. I put some honey in there, some bee pollen in there, and essential oils. Uh, and it, what it is, it, it, uh, it's like a feeding stimulant that the bees have, and it, it really gets them really going good. Tim often gets his two granddaughters, Maya and Bria, involved when they come to visit. During the springtime, they enjoy helping out with the family business and share Tim's fascination for the flying creatures. While the honey is a sweet reward for their hard work, it isn't the only thing they gain from spending time with their grandfather. Hoda doesn't shy them away from the negative aspects of beekeeping. Last spring I was with my granddaughter and I lost a lot of bees, a lot of bees. And um, What you have to do is they call them uh, dead out. The term is called dead out. And you go through your bees and you take all the dead bees and you scrape them off into a pile and you clean up the hive because when they sit in the hive and, you, and they start to rot, it's the hard, most horrible smell. You know, the corpses, rotting corpses of bees. You know, you could probably write a short story on it. Tim and his granddaughter aren't the only ones cleaning out the hives. 
the role of undertaker bees is also to help clear some of the dead outs. And my uh, eight-year-old granddaughter was there with a brush, and I was holding up the frames, brushing dead bees off dead bees, and you know, we were getting a good pile of them, putting them back together and getting them ready to introduce a new nucleus hive to them. And we were going down the line, and she kept saying, Papa, is this one alive? I said, no, honey, this one's not alive either. Going down. So we did three or four, and she realized they're all dead. You know? And she said, I can't do this anymore. I, it's making me sad. I have to go in. And she went in, and she never takes a nap in the afternoon. But she was so overloaded by grief you know, from seeing these dead bees. Scraping out dead bees happens throughout the winter and into spring. But despite the morbid nature of his work, Hoda's job has informed his entire world view. I remember way back when uh, somebody saying, what life is, is somebody finding a resource and going back and telling telling the world what I discovered, you know. know, I say, isn't that what it's all about? We find truth, and we find a little essence of truth. They say, look what I found. Now, maybe to us it seems much more important than other people but I said you know we discovered stuff you know and I life is a discovery process and if we don't stop looking we're going to stop discovering thank you Sarah for sharing Hoda's story he met his wife at SUNY Cobleskill. He asked if anyone knew when Thomas Edison's birthday was and she said February 11th Shocked, Hoda asked how she knew that. It was her birthday, and it was his too. They've spent every February 11th together since. That's all for this episode of Working Syracuse. Check out our website, www.workingsyracuse.com, for more interviews as well as some extra content on Hoda. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Working Syracuse. Thanks again to Sarah for speaking with Hoda. This episode was written and produced by Sarah Kinsler and Will Moyo. Extra reporting came from Juliana Whiteway. Our theme music was by Logan Piercy. I've been Bronte Schmidt, and it's time for us to clock out. <laughs>